Good morning. If you go to the Moraine Valley website and you look up the uh, bio of Pastor Bill Mills, it'll simply say, Hospital Visitation Pastor. And I want to tell you that's very much an understatement, okay? Um, I'm going to, I asked Bill, I said, what, what is it, you know, do you want me to say about you? He said, just tell him that, introduce me as your friend. <laughs> and I, he is my friend. And he's a friend of many, many people. But, uh, you know, he's better known as really the founder of LRI, Leadership Resources International, starting in 1970. And let me read you from their website what the mission statement says. It says, we equip and encourage pastors around the world to teach God's word with God's heart. It's pretty significant. A good, good uh, mission statement. Starting in 1970, uh, with uh, an emphasis on personal evangelism or personal discipleship of young believers, and in 2001, he started TNT. What does TNT stand for? You ought to know. We pray for him a lot. Training National Trainers, right? Second Timothy 2.2, teach others to be faithful. And so it gives me great pleasure to introduce Bill. His wife, Karen, is here. They have two sons, Peter and Joel. And it's just a joy to hear Bill preach. We heard him uh, last year or the year before last. I think you were preaching on Isaiah. What a blessing it was to, to hear you preach on that, that passage. So, brother, I just it's a joy to have you come, and, and we just pray for you. We pray that uh, the Lord would use you in your, in your preaching this morning. So God bless you. It is good to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this day. Uh, I've had the privilege of traveling with uh, Pastor Steve to Nepal. Thank you for your heart for that ministry. Thank you for sending Pastor Steve. Uh, it is an honor to call him a friend. I will never forget his warm heart of encouragement to our brothers there, uh, his very strong teaching and his beautiful shepherd's heart. Thank you for loving Nepal. Thank you for being a part of TNT. It's about equipping nationals to train nationals in preaching and shepherding. And so, looking forward to this day. I want to say thank you to Tina, who was very helpful to me in preparing for this morning. And I do want to thank Ryan and uh, Darren for how prayerfully they uh, selected the scriptures and the songs of worship. Thank you, worship team, uh, to fit in with the message of Psalm 19. I'm glad to have my wife Karen with me this morning. And um, in less than two months, we'll be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. She is the love of my life and my partner in ministry and in everything else. So uh, we're enjoying being with you. A couple of prayer requests. Uh, we have a um, training time scheduled in uh, Turkey in September. Now, my new role in uh, leadership resources is regional director of Russia and Central Asia. I used to be president of the organization, but uh, did step down and was immediately exiled to Siberia. 
So, but we have work in not only Russia, we have, uh, we're beginning our fourth team there uh, this year, but uh, also work in uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, starting in Serbia and Bulgaria this year, but uh, Turkey. And in Turkey, we actually do not, uh, at this time, train pastors in Turkey, but we bring pastors from uh, Central Asia that would be mostly Turkmenistan and Azerbaijan and bring them to Istanbul where, you know, the Central Asia can be very difficult. Turkey is very comfortable. Well, things have changed a little bit. And uh, we've been going back and forth. There have been two acts of terrorism, as you know, in Turkey, and we wondered about postponing or rescheduling somewhere else the training. And now this attempted coup this past week. So uh, pray that God would give our team wisdom. I think that we probably will not have the training in Turkey. We'll either postpone it to another time or to uh, move it to another country. So appreciate your prayers. By the way, the pastors in Central Asia, very high area of persecution. Uh, we found uh, not too far into our training that one of our TNTers uh, was actually working with the KGB in his country and uh, extorting money from some of our other TNTers, uh, threatening to uh, turn them into the government. Uh, one of my favorite pastors from that area showed me pictures of his church worshiping in Turkmenistan. Now, it's uh, against the law for more than five or ten believers to gather together in any one place in Turkmenistan. So he showed me pictures of their church traveling around in a bus through the night, through the city, conducting their worship times. Another picture of them out in the desert, making it look like they're having a picnic or church outing, but they're worshiping. So sometimes in our worship, we pray, Lord, thank you that you have allowed us to live in a place where we are free to gather to worship. Never take that for granted. Now, the team that you support in Nepal is one of 92 TNT teams going on right now around the world uh, throughout Asia, South East Asia, or the South Pacific, Latin America, Africa, and the former Soviet Union. So thank you for being our partners in the work. You have been generous and encouraging, and it's a delight to share in the ministry with you. Well, Psalm 19, let's turn there, or it's probably behind me somewhere for you to read. Written by King David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, every one of us has seen a beautiful sunset. Or we've walked out on a dark night and seen the sky filled with stars. And our hearts are immediately lifted to worship. The glory of the heavens points us to the beauty and the glory of our God. 
I'll never forget listening to one of my favorite radio programs over the years on WGN. Uh, it was hosted by a Jewish professor of sociology at the University of Chicago, Milton Rosenberg, an interview program. And one night as I was coming home from a meeting, I turned it on and his guest was Dr. Francis Schaeffer the great philosopher-theologian that we lost to the church just a few years ago. And as I turned on the program, Milton Rosenberg said to Francis Schaeffer, how do we know there's a God? And immediately Francis Schaeffer said, because there is personality in the universe. We look at what is made, what is around us. It's obvious that a person has brought it into being. We see it in the order, in the colors, in the sounds, in the smells. There is order and personality in creation. And so David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And of course, we have the advantage that David didn't have of the Hubble telescope. And we can see far beyond the solar systems in our galaxy, the Milky Way. We can see into the far reaches of the universe. We can see in detail what people dreamed of for years. What is really in the rings of Saturn? And the more we see, the more we learn, the more we are reminded of the glory and the beauty and the power of our God. David is echoing Genesis 1 in his writing here, isn't he? When we read Genesis chapter 1, we're reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, what can be known about God is clearly seen in what he has made. And what do we learn about this God in Genesis chapter 1? We know that he is awesome and powerful and he is beautiful, and he is very, very good. The heavens declare the glory of our God. They call us to worship. Now, this immediately also points us to the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? We're always working with our TNTers in every text, saying, how does this point us to the Lord Jesus. We want them to do bi good biblical theology. Well, of course, we learn from John 1. We learn from Colossians 1. We learn from Hebrews 1 that Jesus is creator of all of this that brings us the glory of God in the heavens. Jesus, through whom the world was made, the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, created it all. And of course, that's why it is so beautiful. Because our God, the Lord Jesus, is so beautiful. And we do not worship creation as an end in itself. Creation points us to our God, points us to our Lord who gave his life on the cross. And we worship him. 
one of our staff members was leading a devotion on a Sunday or a Thursday morning at our office. Every Thursday morning, we have a very special time together as a staff. Uh, every morning, we begin with prayer, but on Thursday mornings, an extensive time of prayer, a devotional from a staff member, and then reports from the field. So this particular morning, my friend Dick was leading a devotional on the beginning of Psalm 19. And he talked to us about Fibonacci numbers. Any of you ever hear of Fibonacci numbers? You are mathematicians. Fibonacci, an Italian mathematician from, must be the 12 or 1300s, he is the guy who invented invisible golden numbers, like pi. And uh, boy, we still use those mathematical formulas in so many areas of life, especially space exploration. And the universe is fixed, it's dependable, it's predictable, it has patterns. Well, we read Psalm 19, and David's talking about the expanse of the heavens declaring our God is beautiful and glorious and calling us to worship him. But Fibonacci discovered that even in the very smallest things of life, we see the fingerprints of our God. And Fibonacci discovered mathematical rhythms that show up in place after place of life. These formulas, these Predictable patterns, the rhythms, they're seen in flower petals, they're in broccoli spears, the fruitlets of a pine cone, the flowering of a fern, the finger bones, the how a pine cone is made, its DNA molecules, its tree leaves, its seashells, its ram's horns, honeycombs, waves of the sea, the smallest thing in creation, just like the greatest things that God has made, reveal the personality and the beauty, the power, and the glory of our God. So creation is calling us to worship. Verse 2, David says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So David says there is no people group, no place in the world, no culture, no language that is spoken where the people there cannot hear the voice of creation leading them to worship this God. Now you remember, also in Romans, Paul talks about how everyone before God will stand without excuse. It's because God has revealed himself in his creation. Now Chris and I were visiting before our worship about a favorite mission of both of ours, Wycliffe Bible Translators. I know that in Papua New Guinea, where we have ministry, and Indonesia, where we have much ministry, there are hundreds of languages still to be reached, translating the scriptures into their language 
so that they can read the very word of God in their heart language. But they already can hear the voice of creation. Nobody in no place who speaks any language is without the hearing of God's voice leading us to worship him. Um, In them, still in verse 4, he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So David says it's like creation is a frame in which the sun rises through the day and sets in the evening and the frame of creation displays the beauty, the power of the sun and everyone receives the warmth of its heat. Then in verse 7, David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So David reminds us now that only what is perfect can bring life to the soul. Only what is sure can bring wisdom. Only what is right results in joy. Only what is pure gives light. Only what is clean can last forever. And God's word is true and righteous altogether. In fact, it's not only these, but he goes on in verse 10 to say, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but... uh, I will ask you to ask yourself if we would say, how many of us here this morning believe that God's words are more valuable, more to be desired than gold, even a lot of gold? I I think just about everybody here would raise their hand. But sometimes we are very quick to say with our mouths what our lives speak differently in our values and our priorities and our passions. I've often thought if on a Sunday morning, across from our church, there was a building, and somebody was going to rent that building and offer on a Sunday morning a seminar on investing in gold shares. And, of course, there's a lot of interest in investing in gold these days because it is stable and it is sure. I mean, stocks are all over the place. Cash savings accounts produce very little interest. And so there's a lot more interest in investing in gold. So next Sunday morning, at the same time as our worship, There's going to be this seminar next door 
on investing in gold shares. And there's a promise. Everyone who attends will receive as a token a small nugget of gold. Now, if I was pastoring a church where one Sunday morning everyone would raise their hand and say, of course, yes, yes, God's words are more valuable than gold, much fine gold, I'd still be scared to death about how many would be in worship that Sunday with the gold seminar next door. But God's word, more desirable than gold, more satisfying than honey. Why? Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them is great reward. So there's some reward in, in investing in gold. There's some reward in eating honey. But there's great reward in God's word. Why? Because God's word warns his people. Why do we need the warnings of God's word? Look at verse uh, 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from Hidden faults. Because most of our sins, we're not even aware of. We know, every one of us here this morning, we sin. We sin in the things that we do. We sin in the things that we don't do. Some of our sins we're very aware of. Most of them we're not aware of. And God's word, which is more valuable than gold and more satisfying than honey, it reveals our, our errors, the hidden faults of our hearts. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to see our sins. We're not aware of our sins. Most of them are hidden, even from our eyes. In fact, usually our wife or our mother or our parents or our children can tell us more about our sins than we can tell ourselves. But not just the hidden faults, the presumptuous sins. That is a fascinating phrase, isn't it? What are presumptuous Sins. Well, a presumptuous sin is one that's not that big a deal. We, we have these categories. We know the big ones that will blow us out of the water. But then there are the other ones. You know, gossip. Lust, anger, jealousy, greed. Greed's going to be very popular in our culture as our models of political leaders keep talking about how good it is. Yeah, greed. You know, there's categories of sins, but those are presumptuous. Karen's sisters, 
husband left Annie a few years ago for another woman. I called him. I said, Larry, you need to leave this woman and go back to your wife. He was trapped. But he said, Bill, God forgave David. He'll forgive me. I said, Larry, you better not presume on God's mercy. Presumptuous sin. What is a presumptuous sin? Well, I've done it before. Hasn't made that much difference in my life or my family or my ministry. Presumptuous sin. It's just who I am. Things we struggle with, we battled with. Years, years. Vulnerabilities. Maybe the from the sins of our parents. One, one, and there are more that I receive from my parents is anger. My parents were the most angry people I've ever known in my life. So God converted them by His grace and mercy. But I, I can remember, and my my sister here is worshiping with us today. She'll remember this. We can remember hour after hour when our parents would call each other the most vile names they could think of, just out of control in their anger. And we struggle with things, things that we're vulnerable to in our flesh. We pray and we pray and we pray that God will give us the grace to deal with them. We ask him again and again. And sometimes we have victory, Sometimes it lasts a while, then we fall back into it. And finally we say, I'm just going to have to accept the fact God's going to have to accept This is who I am. I've tried, I've tried. It's a presumptuous sin. Some of us will say, I serve the Lord as much as I can. I give faithfully. I try to walk with him. I try to be the best Christian I can be. Surely God will let me have this one thing. He won't. It's a presumptuous sin. You notice the interesting play that David brings to us on this? When God's word that warns us reveals our hidden faults, and keeps us back from presumptuous sins, the ones that really have dominion over us, then we're innocent of great transgression. So we might think of the biggies in comparison to the smaller things, the presumptuous sins, but when we deal with the small ones, then God gives us mercy. We'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Interesting phraseology. And he closes the psalm with the words, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'd like for you to look down at your Bible again, whether it's on your phone or you're holding it or it's on the screen here. 
Look at this psalm and ask yourself this question. Why is this one psalm? Because it seems to be two very different subjects, doesn't it? In verses 1 to 6, David is talking about how God has revealed himself in his creation. And now creation is calling us to worship him. And then David begins to talk about the ministry of God's word in his heart and in our hearts as well. Why is this one psalm instead of two? Well, this is a great model, a beautiful example of the parallelism of Hebrew poetry. Often in Hebrew poetry, the author will say one thing and then he'll say it again or say it in another way or give us another picture. In fact, if you want to turn quickly back to Psalm 1, you'll see an example of this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's saying the same thing again and again, but in a little different way. And so the author is paralleling truths against one another in the beauty of language. That's Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism. And this is one of the biggest examples of Hebrew poetry in parallelism that we find in our Bible. And in fact, verses 1 to 6 are paralleled in verses 7 to 14. So what is verse 1 to 6 about? Well, we know that God brought creation into being through the words that he spoke. It's another great repetition in Genesis 1, isn't it? God spoke. The earth is formless and void. Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. God begins to speak, and life springs forth. Things come into being. So God spoke creation into being by his word. Now what is creation doing? Now creation is speaking. And creation is speaking to everyone who will listen. There's no one in all the world, in any place, in any culture, in any language, that cannot hear and understand the voice of creation revealing our God and calling us to worship him. So what does David do? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as David is meditating on God, God gives him this amazing understanding. God brought the world into creation through the words that he spoke. And now creation is speaking, calling us to worship this God. What does David do with that? Does he say, that's the most amazing thing I ever thought of? That's the most incredible insight I've ever discovered. And he writes it out, and he puts it in his file folder for his next Bible study that he's going to lead, or sermon he's going to preach. And he says, I can't wait to share this with the congregation. No, no. 
David knows the ministry of God's word is not about insight. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And so what does David do in the rest of the psalm? After reflecting, learning, what God has done with creation, brought it into being through the words that he speaks. Now creation is speaking a way that reveals his glory. David says to God, do the same thing in me. What you've done in creation, I want you to do in me. So he talks about the power of the word of God in the human heart, like nothing else in this world. Like nothing else in all of creation, God's word is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous. Even as beautiful as this creation is. Fallen, isn't it? God's word is not like that. It's perfect, pure, clean, righteous, true. So as he's thinking about his heart, his heart's transformation, talks about how valuable, how satisfying God's word is. Because it warns us. It shows us our hidden faults. It keeps us from the presumptuous sins, places where we make room for ourselves and our hearts to be less than who God's called us to be. And then he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, God, what you've done in your creation, I want you to do in your new creation. Just as you spoke the world into being by your word, and now creation is speaking of the glory of your name. Would you speak your word in my heart and cause my word, your word, to come back to yourself through me in a way that's acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our first TNT team in Russia was in the city of Habarsk. Now, Habarsk is the far east of Russia. It's not Siberia, it's past Siberia. In fact, Siberia is not just the far north of Russia, it's the whole area between the Ural Mountains and the far east of Russia. So you go, uh, Russia is so large, it's the largest landmass country in the world, it's 11 time zones across. So you go from Moscow and St. Petersburg in the west over to the Ural Mountains, the, Ural Mountains divide Europe and Asia, going east and west. You go through Siberia, which is so vast, and then you come to the Far East. Now, you might have heard of the city of Vladivostok in the Far East of Russia, and Habarsk is just to the north. It was our first TNT ministry in Russia. And we had a young fellow there in the group. His name's Sasha. And uh, 
the groups divided uh, between well-educated and not educated pastors. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but about 85% of the pastors in the world have never been to Bible school or seminary. And in Asia, Latin America, and Africa, the church is exploding so fast, they can't train pastors fast enough. That's why the non-formal type of training we're doing is so needed and so important. But the goal of our TNT training is not information, it's transformation. And uh, so some of our pastors, in fact, we have a new team in St. Petersburg, and it is, it's a little larger than we hoped it would be, you just can't get it down, but our teams are all less than 20. Most of our teams around the world are 12 to 16 pastors. And we invest four years into these pastors. We meet with them two times a year, every six months, for almost a week each time. We immerse them into a large text, a book of the Bible, and we give them Bible study tools along the way. And it's very relational. We try to do as little lecturing as possible. In most of the world, the whole learning experience is the student sits down in a chair and takes notes. Somebody with all the knowledge stands up, gives a lecture. The student reviews the notes from the lecture, regurgitates the answers on the test. That's the educational experience. This is very relational, very interactive, and Pastor Steve is very good at it. And so um, in St. Petersburg, this new team, we have five bishops. That is uh, pastors who are regional pastors, great position, great experience, great educations. Most of them have more than one master's degree. And then we have young guys who have no training at all. And I'm amazed at the humility of the older guys willing to sit alongside these younger guys and learn with them and to encourage them and affirm them. So Sasha, he was a young guy, but he had a master's degree, very cocky, very sure, and um, very confident. And always joking about a very quick wit, very quick mind. And he was always on his electronics. So he was the only guy at that, this was uh, maybe 10 years ago, and Times have changed very quickly. At that time, he's the only one with a computer in front of him. So we never knew whether he's reading the text on his computer or looking at websites or checking his email, but uh, he just seemed to be withdrawn. And in fact, the only reason he was able to stay in the group was because his father-in-law was the regional pastor. And we thought, it's just going to make too many waves if we kick him out. But we wanted to kick him out. In fact, I'd been there a few months before to do a pre-TNT conference. And we usually do that, um, uh, studying a book of the scripture and introducing some of the tools so they can make an intelligent decision about whether they want to actually commit four and a half years to this training. And... Uh, Todd, our, re, our director of global ministries, was supposed to go with me. Tim Sattler, our director of training, was supposed to go with me. They both had conflicts. 
back down. So I went by myself. And we spent time studying 2 Corinthians and then introducing some of the tools. Well, one of the hermeneutical tools that we use, and Pastor Steve might have shared this with you, is simply called what, uh, the line. Draw a line on the board. What is it? That's a line. Well, that line represents the word of God. And it's the call of the preacher and teacher of God's word to stay on the line. We can't go above the line and say more than what God has said. That results in legalism. We cannot go below the line and say less than what God has said. That is liberalism. We need, it's our call, stay on the line. Teach the text, the whole text. In fact, we talk about that oath we take when we're testifying in a trial. Do you promise to tell the truth? The whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. You're not going to add anything in, you're not going to leave anything out, you're going to tell it all. And so, after that session, I was visiting with Sasha, and he pastors a church of 17 people on Sakhalin Island. And he said to me, "Uh, we've just made a new rule in our church. I said, what's that? He said, in order to be a member, you have to tithe. He said, I'm so tired of personally living in poverty and the church not having enough money to do the ministry we need to do. So we've made a rule. You join the church, you have to tithe. I said, is that on the line, above the line, or below the line? He looked at me with great anger and he said, I will not repent of this. Well, of course, he knew it was above the line. Well, over the years, Sasha has been our most transformed TNTer in all of our work in Russia. God has taken his arrogance, his self-confidence, and just brought that out of him through the work of his spirit and given him a a love for the word of God. And he's now one of our mentor trainers who travels with us teaching other teams. And he's going to be a part of a new team uh, leading in uh, Vladivostok. And we won't be much involved in that. Uh, Our mentor trainers will be doing the ministry. But the goal of the word of God is not information. It's not insight. It's transformation. And we see that in David's heart. God, what you have done in creation, beginning it with the words that you speak, and now creation is speaking, revealing your beauty and your glory. He immediately says, God, would you do that in me? Would you speak your word in my heart? in a way that changes me. And then I want your word to speak out of me in a way that's acceptable in your sight, just like creation is speaking, bringing you glory, calling people to worship your holy name. I want to mention one other thing about this psalm. David gives us a beautiful picture there in verses 4 to 6. He describes creation as a tent for the sun, almost like a frame for the beauty of the sun. Creation is that frame 
in which the sun rises and sets, displays its beauty, power, and gives warmth to everyone. Nothing is hidden from its heat. It's like David as he comes to the end of the psalm. And it's a good place for our heart's prayer to end. God, I want my life to be a tent for the sun. As you speak your word in my heart, change me, transform me, deal with the warnings that I need, deal with the hidden sins that I don't see, deal with the presumptuous sins, the places where I give room for myself, and it's not, it's not consistent with what your spirit's doing. God, transform me by your word. And would you make my life a tent for your son? So that as people look at me, my life will all be about revealing the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus. Would you make my life like creation is a frame for the glory of the son? Amen.